0: Good morning. Can you hear me okay? My name is uh, Bruce Rokas and along with Mike Moran I serve as one of the preaching and teaching pastors here at Cross Point. I say that because I know we have new people in the audience this morning. We have a a Taekwondo family that has joined us. Uh, We may have some upward families. I know uh, after the practice I'm a commissioner for the uh, little guys, the first and second grade co-ed. I would go around to Talk to the families a little bit. I invited them to our service. So we may have some of you in here today. Uh, Mike preaches in our Spanish, but the last couple of weeks he did double duty while Jane and I were out of town visiting family and friends. We got to Arizona, Marietta, Temecula. Jane's parents' house was like a mile from that big Marietta fire, but it was going the other way, so everything was fine. Everything was good. Uh, What else can I tell you about me and my family? I'm a grandparent. Happy Grandparents' Day. Did you know today was Grandparents Day? You should be receiving gifts and calls, I'm sure, from the the grandchildren. <laughs> oh, I think it's just another one of those ways that the greeting card companies make money. You know, in in any event, there seems like there's a day for everything. But today's the Lord's Day, and we're glad that you're here with us, worshiping. What a wonderful worship service, and now a time of getting in the Word. So let's uh, open our bulletins, take out our uh, sermon notes. And let's get into it. When I left a couple of weeks ago, we were in the middle of a series called 10 Values That Build Strong Families. And basically what we're doing is we're looking at the 10 Commandments. Because nothing can build your family stronger than those 10 foundations for our life. 10 clear signs to direct us. Um, If you were trying to get on a on-ramp to one of our Southern California freeways, and you were a little confused whether it was the on-ramp or the off-ramp, wouldn't you appreciate a sign that said, this ain't it? Wrong way. And you wouldn't resent it. You would be actually grateful because if you went on to an off-ramp, all kinds of bad things could happen. So the sign would be there to help you, not to hurt you. Well, that's what the Ten Commandments are. They are God's ten clearly marked road signs to help us with life. And so today, we're going to be looking at the seventh of the Ten Commandments. But I know we have some new people here, and I know by way of review, it's a good thing. Let's go back to the first commandment. Let's review them. Number one. We, remember, we use pictures here at Crosspoint. I do so much better when I, I'm a more visual than an auditory person. And uh, my wife in her fourth grade class learned the Ten Commandments this way in order, and that's the way I learned them too. Number one, big red ribbon. You shall not have any other gods before me. That just means there's only one God, and he should be first place in our life. Number two, you see the man bowing down to the statue? Don't do that. We bow down to no thing that we make with our hands or with our minds. We bow down to... One person on one person only. Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, King of kings and Lord of lords. Number three, our lips. If you can pitch, What do we do with our lips? You can bless God with your lips. You can curse God with your lips. But you don't want to use God's name in vain. Be very careful, reverent with the name of God. Hallowed be thy name. Even Jesus said that. Number four, what do we read about the, keeping the Sabbath day holy? We read about it in the Bible. So that Bible, number four, if you can remember... Number four, you will know the the fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day. That just means one day in seven, take a day off to rest your body and think about God. That's all that means. Then number five, you see a, a mom and a dad. See the two heads there? That's a mom and a dad. Honor your father and mother. They're the highest authority you have in life. If you don't learn, parents, you better be teaching your kids to honor you. Because if they don't learn to honor your authority, they will not learn to honor the authority of their teachers, their employers, their government, the police, all that stuff. It starts in the home. Number six, this is where we left off last week. See that bomb there? Boom, what do bombs do? They blow up and they murder people. Uh, Someone turned a couple airplanes into some bombs in the World Trade Center on 9-11 and and 3,000 people were murdered. Just like that. Today, we look at kind of a touchy subject. It's the seventh commandment. It's in the shape of a heart. Had dinner with our neighbors last night, and they asked what are you preaching on? We talked about this. And I said, if you just... uh, I told him, I I know them in order. I know the commandments in order because I'm I'm not auditory, but I kind of see things with my mind. And so we went through this, and I said, just picture a heart with a big seven in it. But that seven separates it breaks a heart you cannot commit adultery without a heart being broken and nothing splits a family up faster than the sin of adultery and so this again is not here to to bring up the past we're not here today to 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 create pain or any stain but really to focus on the future remember these are God's um signposts or guides to help us not to hurt us and so our focus is on the future not the past and so I will remind you that our God is not a killjoy our God created sex it's a good thing he's the inventor of it so he's not a prude he's not a killjoy he invented the idea but like all of God's gifts they must be controlled I mean Water's a good thing. It's a gift from God. It can quench your thirst. It can cool you off on a hot day. But too much of it, you'll drown. You know, Keith, graphic illustration of I thought of the wedge as you were telling that story about the big wave. I thought I was, in high school, I thought I was a pretty good swimmer, pretty good body surfer. Yeah, Sill Beach, small waves, Bolsa Cheek, a little bit bigger, Huntington. Huntington, man, I was ripping it up. And they said, you, you think you're good? Go down to the wedge, see what you can do there. Ate me up. I thought I was going to drown. I wanted breath more than anything else. Went down to the bottom, felt like I was in a washing machine, and came up just about the time to get one more breath to do it all over again. Thought I was going to die. Thank you for that horrible, awful memory as I'm trying to commune with my Lord and Savior. (laughs) Uh, But it was graphic. Man, if we wanted Jesus and we want as much as we want breath in a life-giving situation and want wisdom, wouldn't that be a good thing? And I want you to want these Ten Commandments. Some people think, well, it's so old-fashioned. No, it's not. It's not out of date. It's the most up-to-date thing you can read. This is God's Word. And God doesn't lie. He tells us the truth. Fire is a good thing. It can cook your meals and warm your house too much, it can burn down the house. Sex is a good thing in the proper context. In the marriage bond. Outside of that, it can be very destructive. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. And so we're calling today's message, a Affair Proofing Your Marriage. And, um, and, and if you want your marriage fireproofed, then you need this message today. Hebrews 13, verse 5 says this, Husbands and wives be faithful to each other. God will judge those who are immoral and commit adultery. Now in today's permissive society, where it seems like anything goes, doesn't it? And we now have more women in the workplace than ever before. You don't stand a chance of remaining pure unless you establish some guidelines for your life. You know, Reader's Digest did a study that said that 50% of husbands and 35% of wives have admitted to committing adultery at least once in their marriage. So what's the problem? What, what causes affairs? Look up here on the screen with me. Let's try to figure this thing out. Uh, and, and a whole bunch of this I got from... Um, Rick and Kay Warren. Do you know who Rick Warren is? He's got a wife named Kay. They've been married like 40 years. They've written books on this, messages on this, did interviews on this. And um, uh, Rick says, uh, well, in their marriage, uh, in the beginning, was very, very rough for about the first four years. Uh, R- Rick said, uh, though, they had to work some things out. Kay said, our marriage was a living hell. That's a quote. You don't think about that. You think of Rick and Warren, the perfect marriage. He says, that's the flaw of things. They think the preacher and the wife got it all together. No, Rick will later say, we've been married 40 years, and they've been the happiest 35 years of my life. (laughs) Kay said, I'm thinking more like 34 happy years. (laughs) So it took them a while to work it out, but these are biblical principles that they work through. And I want us to look at them together today. What's the problem? Unmet needs. And we all have them. Every marriage does. And by the way, let me just say this about that. There are some needs that only God can meet. Don't expect your spouse to meet needs that God has intended to meet. It'll never happen. But there are needs that we have that we can meet. Unfulfilled expectations. You can just imagine, you know, thinking, I thought I would come home every night and there'd be a hot cooked meal. Newspaper, greeted at the door with a kiss, and here's your slippers, sit down and relax, dinner's almost ready. Well, she's thinking, what, we're not going out tonight? We always used to go out when we dated. And he, he always just opened the car door. Now we're married, well, what's that all about? Un- unfulfilled expectations, and so I don't know what all your expectations were in marriage, but uh, there will be some of that. Unresolved conflict, that will fester. Undeveloped self-worth. And you know, when when you're having an unfulfilled relationship, your self-esteem tends to go down. Don't let that happen to you. Don't beat yourself up. Don't put yourself down. You need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. you got self-esteem issues. Don't look at yourself the way others see you. Maybe you see yourself. Say, my God is King of kings and Lord of lords, and if I'm a son or a daughter, I'm a prince or a princess. Start looking at yourself that way. That that people aren't going to meet your self esteem issues. Only God can do that. That's what I was talking about early on. And so when we start saying, "Well, my my needs aren't being met, or my expectations aren't what they should be," and and we got this unresolved conflict and undeveloped self worth, and and so you know what? You start looking out there, and the wisest man that ever lived wrote this in the book of Proverbs. He says, "Adultery is a." trap or does it say that it says that in proverbs chapter 22 verse 14 it is a trap it will snare you so we want to prevent the trap we don't want Satan to win so let's look at some prevention this morning six steps to prevention number one make a commitment to God's standard here's God's standard sex is only for marriage I'm going to repeat this because some of you just went right over your head and you thought that is so outdated, that is so old-fashioned. God couldn't have really said that. Yes, God said that. Sex is only for marriage. Now that is a rule not to hurt you, it's to help you. You You'll be so happy if you keep that rule. It is there for your protection. Psalm 119.9 How can a person keep his way pure? Well, let's see here. By living according to the culture. Is that what that says? No! But the culture would have you think that's what that says. By living according to God's Word. you you got to lift God's Word up and say, no, that's the standard. Uh, You know, I know people fall. I know people fail. I know we're weak. I know we got problems and frailties and shortcomings. But don't lower the standard. Keep the standard high. Because God keeps the standard high. Adultery is never an option. Just get that in your head. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Uh, Man, if there ever was a a good-looking young man that had a reason to to just go for the gusto when he had the opportunity, it, it was Joseph. His brother sold him into slavery. He ends up in Potiphar's house who was like the, the second to the king, or captain of the king's guard, and very rich and prosperous fella, a palatial palace, and Joseph ends up becoming the number one slave in this house, and he was a good looking guy, and Potiphar's wife had a, a thing for Joseph, and she tried to seduce him time after time, and Joseph would somehow wiggle his way out of it, and And this this came right down to the brass tacks. She got him cornered. Picture the scene, bedroom scene. Potiphar's away. She's got him cornered. And he he could have rationalized. See, everyone that has an affair rationalizes. Joseph could have said, well, you know what? I'm young. I'm single. I'm away from home. No one's going to know. She wants it. I desire it. And besides this Egyptian culture, this is kind of accepted in this society. I've been abused, Joseph could have said. My mother died when I was young. I had an overindulgent father. My brothers hated me. I was deprived of love. I had a terrible family. He could have have rationalized it more than most. And yet, you know what he said in this situation? I cannot sin against God. He doesn't say Potiphar. I mean, it would have been a sin against Potiphar. I get that. But he takes it to a whole other level. He takes it to a whole other standard. See, he knew the book. He knew the standard. I will not sin against God and he ran from that room she grabbed the cloak you know the story and how that ended up but sometimes fellas the best thing you can do is just run don't try to rationalize don't try to talk your way out just run and that's what Joseph did he ran Proverbs 5.15 says be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone number two you want to prevent An affair proof your marriage. Number two, magnify the consequences. What do I mean by that? Remind yourself of the consequences of getting caught in an affair. Yikes. And if that doesn't scare you, you got issues. Spouse finding out, kids finding out, in-laws now become outlaws because they found out. All kinds of bad consequences. Proverbs 6.32 says, The one who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys his own soul. I have found that over the years when people have come to me and confessed, Bruce, I've had an affair, I've done this, I've done that. And and man, you can just tell these guys are hurting. They, They feel terrible about it. And... And almost every one of them said something to this effect. Maybe not exact, these exact same words, but something that goes like this. <sighs> Bruce, if I could just turn back the clock, if I could turn back the hands of time, push the button, turn back the hands of time, I would not have done it. But it's too late in a sense because the line has been crossed. But you can start over. That's the good news. See, there's no hook to this message. There's prevention in this message, and there's good news in this message. The good news is you can start afresh. But Proverbs 6.26 does say there is a cost. Adultery will cost a man everything. Now, some of you may be in difficult marriages this morning. And, And maybe it's not that satisfying, and you're looking around. I tell you, the cost of repairing your marriage is far cheaper than the high cost of adultery. Adultery takes place, you split the sheets, you split the belongings, you split the kids, and now you've got uh, a house payment over here and a house payment over there, and dividing the kids up. And The, the, it, the Bible says it's costly. It's costly. It's much cheaper to invest in repairing your marriage. Number three, maintain your marriage. A grown relationship to your spouse reduces the pull and the attraction of adultery. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 3. A man should fulfill his duty as a husband, and a woman should fulfill her duty as a wife, and each should satisfy each other's needs. What do you suppose that's talking about? oh honey I got a scratch right here you think you can get that I'll scratch your back you scratch mine he's talking about sex folks now I grew up in a day and time I am you are 60 what two, 3 so I'm a 64 I grew up in a day and time but I'm sure you pretty sure you did too you didn't mention sex in the pulpit in church I wish I had a preacher talking straightforward like the Bible does to us when we were in church I don't want anyone uptight about this, but this is, come on, this is Bible. Each should satisfy the other's needs. Dr. Willard Harley, in his book, His Needs, Her Needs, talks about the top five needs of most men and the top five needs of most women. We'll start with the men. Here it goes. Number one. Sexual fulfillment. Whoa, what a surprise, son huh, guys? What a thought of that. Number two, recreational companionship. Number three, we all want attractive spouses, don't we? And then number four, domestic support. Oh, yeah, take care of the man. Home-cooked meal when I get home. And then admiration. We men want to be admired. Uh, so those are top five needs. Okay, let's go to the women's side. Here you go. Number one. Oh, affection! Can't we just cuddle? Just need a hug. Number two, conversation. Let's talk. Now, I remember when I was looking for a wife. No problem talking. Two-hour phone calls, you know. And when you're dating, man, I talked on the phone. Can never get enough of it, you know. After you're married, pff, guys don't do two-hour phone calls. Get out of here. Number three, honesty and openness. Number four. Financial support, number five, you know, let's take care of the family, okay? Now, we could go back and look at the guys, but let's not do it. You know the top one on the list. Do you see anything in common with these two lists? No! It's no wonder that we have such a hard time with marriage. Right? (laughs) I mean, especially just starting out of the gate, we have these expectations, and we have these roles that we think will be, and these needs that we think, it's just... Would you agree with me it's a whole lot easier to get married than it is to stay married? Well, look at, we're at opposite ends. But we need to understand that going into it, or it can lead to bad things. You see why we got a road sign? Do you see why we have God's Word to lead us and guide us and protect us? So what's the solution? Well, let's read it right from the screen. Get serious about meeting the needs of your spouse to the best of your ability. That's it. Get serious. Say, man, I'm going to make this thing work. I'm going to make this marriage work. Because it's it's work. Marriage at its best is work. 1 Corinthians seven five, the Phillips translation, Do not cheat each other of normal sexual intercourse, or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptations the temptation of Satan so the Bible says sex is a spiritual responsibility in marriage to deny each other is to ask for trouble sex is not to be used as a weapon sex is not to be used as a control mechanism sex is not to be used to manipulate one another hey uh, did you hear about the scientific study this is interesting you're not going to believe this But they did a scientific study, and they discovered what days that most men like to make love. The crazy things they study, right? They discovered that men like days that begin with T. Days like Tuesday, and Thursday, and today, and tomorrow. Oh, and Tatterday and Tunday. Okay, we laugh at that, but we know it's true. Remember the two list. I'm just going back to the list. Here's the deal when you got married, wouldn't you agree with me? We were signing up for a commitment just to, to you and to you alone as long as we both shall live. Right? That was the commitment that's what we intend that that's that's the deal that's the this decision we made and so we were committing to an exclusive relationship and so what we need to do next is make this decision if my mate is going to have a good lover it's going to be me that's what this verse says Rokus revised version that's it number four on the list some of you are very uncomfortable So let's just move along. I I hear nervous laughter. I've been been looking this sermon over for like two weeks, so it's not really bothering me that much, all right? But I, I know some of you are saying move along. Manage your mind. If you want prevention, it's... See, we started this year off with 50 days of transformation. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everything starts in the mind. Nobody just decides I'm going to I'm going to go have an affair today. It starts somewhere. It starts in your thinking. That's why the mind is so important. Uh, people don't just fall into immorality. It's a four-step process, according to James, uh, chapter one and verse fourteen. The first, well. It goes like this. Temptation is the pool of a person's own evil thoughts. It starts with a thought. Then wishes. gets on to those feelings. Those evil thoughts lead to action. And then after action comes death. You see the process? See the process? And so number one, let's deal with this. Accepting sinful thoughts into my mind. i got to take care of my thought life. Take care of my thought life. Because... What you think about, you soon feel, and what you feel, you now act upon. That's Bible. That's, that's the book of James. Number two, emotional, non-physical involvement is the second step in a relationship. You say, well, I'm not, there's no touching. It's just all emotional. Don't think because it's not touching, yet you're still not having some sort of a, of a non-physical affair. Let me give you the definition of an emotional involvement. When you look to a person other than your spouse to meet your deep emotional needs, like understanding, sympathy, support, and we all have those needs, okay? But when you're looking to somebody other than your spouse for that, that is an emotional affair, and that can lead to sin. So you've got to nip that in the bud right there. Uh, a dedicated Christian woman shared her story. She said she was in a very unhappy, unfulfilling marriage. Uh, There was a man in her church that she had begun to talk to and share her, her problems with. And now I quote, she said, He was so kind, so tender, so sympathetic, so understanding of the pain that I felt. He has never touched me but if he ever does i am a goner that's that's a non-physical involvement that's an emotional affair and then the next step physical involvement you think about it you get emotionally involved now it turns physical you've just crossed a huge line when physical contact takes place because it's so hard to go back at this point so don't cross that line God says the seventh commandment is there for your protection and then number four oftentimes you don't have people coming and repenting and talking to their preacher and praying God forgive me oftentimes you get people say hey I like this affair as a matter of fact I like this affair a whole lot better than I like my marriage, and then they start to rationalize. Telling rational lies to yourself. Think of it that way. That's why Jeremiah 17 9 says, look up here. Jeremiah so honest. The heart is deceitful. Now let's change this verse a little bit. Let's change it to read. My heart is deceitful. Who's he talking about? People. The heart is deceitful. My heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah understands the human condition. And we tell ourselves rational lies all the time. Some excuses I've heard. Well, if my husband would just meet my needs. If my wife would just do this. if Those are all rationalizing. And you're in the affair and you go, "Oh, I know what's wrong, alright God, the Holy Spirit's convicted me. I'm... Just one more time. Rationalizing. There's no one more time. And then you even have those. I've had people come to me and say, oh Bruce, we made a mistake when we first got married. We're, we're this new couple now. Uh, we, we've been praying together. Yes, we're in an affair, but we we both believe that God has told us to divorce our spouses and marry each other because we could do so much more for the kingdom of God. That's a Greek word. It means rational lies. You did not get that from the Bible. God would never tell you that because God has already told us His his divine plan one man one woman for life okay let's get through the deception how do we maintain a proper relationship well first of all we need to maintain proper relationships with the people we associate did you know that most affairs occur between friends co-workers and family members. So, how do we maintain proper relationships? Let's take a look up here uh, at the screen. First of all, number 1, don't listen to a member of the opposite sex tell you about their marriage problems. Here's what you say, "Ah, eh, stop, time out." Uh, ah, if they keep talking, do this. Ah, you know that thing? I am not a marriage counselor. You and your spouse need to go get some Christian marriage counseling. That's, what you t- that's your answer. And just cut it off. You don't have to say anything more than that. Number two, don't go fishing for compliments. When someone's fishing for compliments, remember that self-esteem issue I talked about early on? They're showing interest. They're looking for openings. Don't do that. Number three, quickly, avoid a prolonged stare. What does a prolonged stare signal? Interest. Uh, Did you hear about the older couple that was in the retirement home and they were in the rec room one day and he was playing checkers with his friend and he couldn't help but notice this elderly woman sitting on the the couch staring at him as he was concentrating to play his game. and, And he'd look up and she was staring right at him. And uh, he went, you know, he averted his eyes, you know, thinking she would do the same, but she doesn't. He's, he, he just can't concentrate on the game. So at one point, he gets up and he walks over to her and he says, Ma'am, I, I couldn't help but notice you were staring at me. And I was just wondering, you know, what's, what's up? And the lady says, oh, you remind me of my third husband. <laughs> and he says, oh, I'm, oh I, I didn't know, I'm so sorry, and you know, I understand. Uh, by the way how many husbands have you had and she said two you get it i don't care what age you are when you're staring you're 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 showing interest and then number 4 avoid a lingering touch it's a dead giveaway you know there's christian hugs and there's hugs you know you, you know what I'm talking about, because that, too, signals interest. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must be not even a hint of sexual immorality. And then number six, the last prevention. And then we'll get to uh, some pathway back. Minimize the opportunity. If you don't want to get stung, someone said, stay away from the bees. And so don't place yourself in a tempting situation. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, man, I've been married so long, this could never happen to me. Who are you kidding? Remember, the heart, my heart is is deceptive. Given the right situations, we're all capable of falling. And that's why the Bible gives such strong warnings. 1 Corinthians 10.12, so be careful. If you're thinking, oh, this is a modern speech, oh, I would never behave like that, let this be a warning to you. For you too may fall into sin. Most affairs occur between people who already know each other. And so you know what I would suggest you do? Choose friends who are committed to their marriages. Those are the kind of friends you want. You're committed to your marriage, they're committed to their marriages. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.33, bad company corrupts good character. That just means it's a whole lot easier to pull us down than to bring them up. And one of the prime places uh, that affairs take place is in the office. Offices are ripe for budding romances because everyone looks good and smells good or on their best behavior. You know how you look in the office, all sharp and neat, and the girls are all prettied up. But nobody sees you the way you really are in the morning when you wake up with curlers in your hair and puffy eyes and no makeup, or the guy's all unshaven and hair's disheveled and and uh, bad breath and leaves the toilet seat up when it's supposed to be down, that kind of thing. See, we see people in their they're best. And we think, oh, wow. that's the way it should always be. No, 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 no. Rationalizing once again. That's why Malachi says, Malachi 2.15, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with your wife. But Bruce... It's already happened. What if? What what do we do now? There's always a pathway back. Remember, I told you that this is a message of hope. This is not to, to resurrect the past. This is to focus on the future. There is always God's grace. There is always God's love. There is always God's hope. There is always God's mercy. Now, repentance must t- take place. Forgiveness must take place. And by the way, true repentance can bring forth instant forgiveness. Now, reconciliation, that's a whole other matter. That's a whole other process that you know, you'll find out about in counseling. And you've know, you got to win some trust back. And you've got to put some things in their proper place. But there's always a path back. I would say that God loves path, pathways back. And that marriages stay together. And so, if you've been unfaithful to your mate, there is still hope. If your mate has been unfaithful to you, there is still hope. Adultery does not have to kill a marriage. What are the three steps back? Number one, remember King David? He had an adulterous affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And it wasn't until he came clean That he went back to the temple and he worshiped God. See, there was a nine month period where he wrote no psalms, he sang no songs, he didn't worship God. But in Psalm 51, we don't want, want to take the time to read it this morning, but what I do encourage you to do is oh, wow, when you get home. Read Psalm 51 and see how David pours his heart out to God. He says, God, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done that which was evil in my sight. Wash me with hyssop. Cleanse me. Make me white as snow. Do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. He just pours it all out. But it wasn't until David acknowledged the sin and stopped rationalizing and called it exactly what it was sin. He said, I sinned. That's the first step back. You've got to acknowledge the sin. Number two, end the relationship immediately. Do it now, don't delay. And number three, avoid all contact with that person from now on. You can't be friends after you've been lovers. I would say do whatever it takes Change jobs if you have to. Better to lose your job than to lose your soul. It's, It's a principle. And then I would say if you've been offended in a relationship, learn to forgive. If your spouse has cheated on you, learn to forgive. I mean, truly forgive. You'll never have to forgive anybody else more than God has already forgiven you. I think we should pray about this one. That's a tough one. Let's, let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, this has been a heavy message today. This has been one of those messages that uh, I had to wrestle with. Um, preaching. I didn't want to step across any lines. I just wanted to follow the guidelines of Your Word. And I thank You, Father, for being so open and honest about the sexual relationship. You're the one that thought it up. It was Your idea. But you were very clear, it must be done in the marriage context. And so, Lord, uh, I'm praying for those today that need help in this area. Maybe you're having problems, as James said, it starts with a thought. Your thought life hasn't been what it ought to be. Pray out to God. Say, God, help me change my thought life. Maybe you've been involved in an emotional attachment, an emotional affair. I'd say nip that in the bud right now, because it's not okay. Maybe you have had the heartbreak of an affair in your marriage. Maybe you've crossed that line. There is still hope for both of you. There is hope. God's way is always the best way. And you can get right back on track. You can open your life to God. You can say, Jesus Christ, come into my life right now and help me to manage this sex drive that you created, that you gave me. But Lord, I come clean. I repent. I ask for forgiveness. And I commit my life to moral purity from this day forward. Now if you meant that prayer, then God heard you. And you are forgiven. You don't have to beat yourself up anymore. Don't let the devil do it. He forgave you. Now you need to forgive yourself. And work on your marriage. Work on restoration. Work on reconciliation. Earn your trust back. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ and the hope that the cross brings. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.